highest of heights to the depths of the sea. When he does it here, it's going to be some three years before he does it again. And isn't it just like human nature that the Lord comes and he does something and then uh, just give it a little time and we kind of slowly drift back into our old patterns and our old ways of doing things. And that's unfortunately human nature. That's what happens. Every creature's unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. John's Gospel began with the miracle of a conversion, changing water into wine. Then he showed Jesus performing a work of cleansing, the cleansing of the temple. This is always how Jesus works in his people. Conversion first, then cleansing. When Jesus drove those doing business out of the temple courts, he didn't do it in a flash of anger. He carefully took the time to make a whip of cords and thought carefully about what he would do. Remember that cleansing was part of the Passover celebration. Jesus saw it right to cleanse the temple of sin, just like he cleanses all believers of sin. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. If we could open our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 2. John's Gospel, chapter 2. Last week we looked at um, the miracle, Jesus' first miracle. And I don't think it was any coincidence that he did that at a wedding. And we looked last week at just the importance of marriage and certainly the, the institution of marriage, and especially today as it is uh, under such attack. But God created a, a marriage between a one woman and one man. That's what the Bible says. I don't know about you, but for me, that settles the issue. It doesn't really matter to me what anybody else on the planet thinks, no matter how smart they are. It's settled in my heart. And I think it can be with yours too, because I think the authority of God's word and who God is kind of trumps everything else. Just a little, right? And so we looked at that, and we also looked at the, really the difference between the Old and the New Testament. We saw that in the water pots filled with water, and how Jesus made that, those empty pots, he had them fill it up with water, and it became wine. And it really is just a picture, really, of the emptiness of of the Old Testament or what it had become, the law is actually good. The Bible tells that it's a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But once we've come to Christ, there's no need to return to the old. It doesn't mean that it's eradicated and that it, it, it doesn't have any place in our lives because we know that we can't continue to murder, we can't continue to steal, and that's what the law tells us. But when Jesus comes into our life, there's a newness. The Spirit of God takes residence in our heart, and by that we know that we are a Christian. In fact, that's the only way that we are a Christian, is by the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And that joy that comes as a result of the indwelling Spirit of God. 
Are you indwelt with the Spirit of God this morning? I pray that every one of you are because there's no greater time to live than the time we're living in right now because we're getting very, very close to the end, folks, and things are wrapping up just as Jesus said they were going to. He's never lied to us. Has he ever lied to you? I mean, honestly, has he ever lied to you? He may, he may never be on time concerning your concept of time. You may pray for something and say, Lord, you didn't answer that prayer in the time frame that I specified. And I think the Holy Spirit will come back and say, well, who made you God? <laughs> right? We need to trust in his strength and his power and his timetable. Amen? But that's what last week was about. But now Jesus, the very next thing chronologically that happens is he goes into the temple at the very beginning of his ministry. And he cleanses the temple. And for good reason, we're going to look at that. But let's read it, beginning in verse 13. I'll read it to you. Open your Bibles and read it with me, or or just hear it as I read it to you. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who had sold oxen and sheep and doves. And the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what is in man. He knew what was in man, and I love the fact that he knows what's inside of us. Jesus, in this next uh, section of Scripture, he goes and he cleans the temple. And this is the first time that he does it, at the very beginning of his ministry. We know that he also did it at the end of his ministry. When he does it here, it's going to be some three years before he does it again. And isn't it just like human nature that the Lord comes and he does something, and then uh, just give it a little time, and we kind of slowly drift back into our old patterns and our old ways of doing things. And that's unfortunately human nature. That's what happens. And that's what happened to the Jews at this time. They were, they were used to doing things in a certain way, having their rituals, and, and, and those, many of those things were, were um, designed for them in the law of God, in the word of God. But it became something, at one point, at Jesus' time here, it became something they were just going through the motions. The internal observation, the internal meaning of it all had kind of gone, and it became just a, a religion of externals. And that's always a problem with anyone. 
to forget the internal. We, we, can, we can handle the external. We can put the makeup on. We can dress up. We can do all those things. Little does anybody know that inside we're scared to death, we're frustrated, we're angry, perhaps even living in sin, but the outward looks good. God never cares about the outward appearance. He's always looking at the inward. And so it took three years, and Jesus would need to go back and, and cleanse that temple again. And um, in fact, turn with me to Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 11, because we're going to look at this, this second time that Jesus goes into the temple. Remember, we just read that he did it the first time. Now fast forward three years. And it says in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 11, And remember, this was immediately after that triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, when he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. Immediately after that, Jesus, in Mark 11, chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. Again, this is the second time toward the very last part of his ministry before he'd be crucified. And so when he had looked around at all things, remember, three years ago, he, he, he cleansed the temple, now he visits it again. He looked around at all things as the hour was already late, and he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it, it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said to it, "'Let no one eat fruit from you ever again.'" And his disciples heard it. Now, I find this is interesting because, um, considering what we're going to be discussing today and looking at, because Jerusalem had become like this fig tree. A fig tree, when it bears fruit, the leaf covers the fruit so that the sun doesn't, doesn't hurt it. And so Jesus, very naturally going up to the tree, seeing it, would expect fruit, even though it wasn't right, it wasn't right at the right time for figs, but it had the outward show that something was happening. But underneath the leaf, there was no fig. And see, that, that's indicative, really, of what Jerusalem had become. It was all an outward show. It had become that. It didn't start that way. But given man and our propensity, we can do things. We've got our schedules. We can do things. We can accomplish things and check them off of our list. But God is going, that's fine that you have the list, but where am I in all of this? Where have you, did you cast me aside from your list? All the things that you're doing, am, am I just uh, baggage for you? But Jerusalem had become this. It had become, they'd become more concerned about the outward than the inward. But notice what happens in verse 15 of that same chapter. So they came to Jerusalem and then Jesus went into the temple. And again, the second time he began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And then he taught, saying to them, It is written, is it not written, he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching And so here Jesus comes to the temple three years later, toward the end. And really, this was going to be the thing that was really going to clinch his crucifixion. 
The first time he did it, he caught them by surprise. Three years later, he comes back, does the same thing, and the chief priests are going, That's, we've had it with this guy. We've got to find out a way to, to get rid of him. We've got to get rid of him. And so that is the backdrop of all of this that we're looking at this morning. So go with me back to John chapter 2, this first cleansing of the temple. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You remember there were three feasts in the life of a Jew that they were to attend Jerusalem for. The first one was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which certainly included the Passover. The Passover occurred, and then the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was the one feast. The other one was the Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. They were obligated to go to Jerusalem, the Jews, for these three feasts. And finally, the Feast of Ingathering, or it's also called the Feast of Tabernacles. But what is this Passover? Many of you know very well what the Passover is. In Exodus chapter 12, it defines and shows us what the Passover was. Remember, Jesus told the Jews that to, they were to take a lamb on the 10th day of the month, and they were to hang on to that lamb, and then on the 14th day of the first month, they were to slaughter that lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the lentil, or on the, um, on the side posts of the doorposts, and then on the lentil, which is that beam that goes horizontally across. And, and by putting the blood there, what did it really form? It formed a cross, didn't it? And he said, anyone who goes inside that house, when the death angel passes over the, the, the country of Egypt, that anyone who was inside where the blood had been applied will be safe. But anyone who was outside and did not do apply the blood on the door of their house, the firstborn of that household would die. And we know that Pharaoh and most of the Egyptians, they were unbelieving people. That happened to them. They lost their firstborn, including Pharaoh, the heir to his throne. But Jesus said something very interesting, or the Lord says something very interesting in verse 11 of that of chapter 12 of Exodus. And he says, and then he told them that they were to eat the Passover, the, the Passover lamb. And they were to eat it with bitter herbs. They were to eat it in haste. They were to eat it with the sandals on their shoes, with the staff in their hand. And they weren't, a lot, they weren't supposed to leave anything of it, but whatever was left, they were to burn it outside. And he said in verse 11, Then thus you shall eat it with belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hands, so shall you eat it in haste. Notice, it is the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Passover. That's very important. It's the Lord's Passover. But what does it tell us there in verse 13? The Passover of the Jews. Now, I don't want to make a, a mountain out of a mole here, mole hill here, <laughs> but it was the Lord's Passover. But now at this time, it had become a Passover of the Jews because the Passover had become somewhat of a circus by this time. Many people were getting wealthy off the selling of animals at exorbitant prices for worshipers who were coming out of time. Out of, out of town. You remember that even in Acts chapter 2, during the time of Pentecost, uh, you know, pilgrims from all over the world were flooding into Jerusalem. All over the place. And to bring an animal from those distances was difficult. It was. And normally when you would come, you would bring an animal sacrifice. 
You'd bring a lamb or a goat, and they would be inspected by the priest. That's what they did. They inspected them because it had to be a male of the first year without blemish. Without blemish. So if the animal offered passed the test, then they would, it would be offered on behalf of the worshiper. So what was happening here, and, and the reason Jesus is having such a hard time with this, is they were offering these animals for sale that had already been inspected. And they probably weren't doing the very best job either. Because as you know, man left to himself, if it's a a lamb without blemish, you know, there comes a point when you want to make a little more money and you look at the lamb, he's he's got a few, but but just, he's good, he's good, just pass it on. And so these things were happening, these things were happening. So not only would they buy a lamb that had already been inspected, but you couldn't bring your own money, your money from your different lands that you came from, those Jews who came from those lands, it wasn't good. You had to exchange it. There was an exchange rate for the currency for the temple money. And the temple money was different. And just as today, we get charged for exchanging of currency. They did the same thing, except they were adding exorbitant amounts on top of it. So people were getting very, very rich. And how convenient. You don't even need to bring your lamb. You just got to come with a lot of cash. You got a lot of money. We'll bring your gold card. So the worshipers come, they buy a lamb, they get robbed of their exchange rate. Their worship had become convenient, it had become something that the Lord, did, that the Lord found distasteful because people were making money off of it. And due to the covetousness, the religious leaders and those whom they allowed to sell the animals in the temple, precincts, were getting very wealthy. And this, I, I believe, is what Jesus had the problem with. They were fleecing the people. Have you ever been fleeced? <laughs> Has the salesman ever told you and promised great things and, you know, and is going to sell you something for a great price and you get very little? This is kind of the attitude of the people. Attitude of the religious leaders and those who were selling. M- many of the people had right hearts and they were coming to worship. But the religious leaders and those who they were allowing were doing all kinds of strange and aberrant things. And the Lord was getting very fed up with it. Very fed up with it. But remember, at the very center of worship is sacrifice, isn't it? If there is no sacrifice, there is no worship. You can't call it worship unless there's a sacrifice. And there's a lot of things that pass today as worship in the church, but as nothing more than entertainment. Jesus had to cleanse the temple. It had become something that it wasn't supposed to be. And unfortunately, the church as a whole, maybe not many of you, maybe none of you, but in America and in the world, for that matter, the church, we've gotten comfortable with being entertained rather than growing in this worship, really knowing what worship is. A sacrifice to and for God who is worthy to receive all praise and glory and honor. And these are the things of worship. If you remember in Genesis chapter 21, Abraham, God had given him one son, Isaac, a promised son. And in his old age, he and Sarah, it was, it was a miracle that, that Sarah would be able to bear a child at her age. But the Lord gave them Isaac. 
And the Lord told him, saying, Abraham, take your son, your only son, and go up onto the mountain that I'm going to show you, and there offer your son as a sacrifice to me. Now, Abraham knew very well it was a pagan idea, but he knew God's voice, and he assumed and he believed that if God allowed him to go through it, that God was also able to raise him from the dead because God had made promises in Isaac. In Genesis 15 and in chapter 17, he lays out the promises of the seed after Abraham, and that included Isaac. So Abraham knew something was up. He knew that he was going through something here that was way beyond him. And certainly it was. But do you think it was easy for him to offer his son? Moms and dads, if you have only one child or or, or even children, think of how hard that would be. Thank God he doesn't ask us to do that. But do you think this was a sacrifice for, for Abraham? You better believe it. I bet, I bet that the three days that they were traveling after the Lord told him, his heart and his, everything in his being was going, Lord, I know this is not right, but you've told me to do it. I know your voice. I've had this, I have this relationship with you, so I'm, I trust you. I believe you. And he finally he goes through with it. But a, a sacrifice, that's what it was. It was a worship service on the Mount Moriah, which is currently where the Temple Mount is today. And what about Mary of Bethany? In John chapter 12, it tells us that she brought an alabaster flask full of spikenard. It was worth a year's wages. And so she pours this ointment over Jesus to anoint him. A very costly thing. Some of, one of the disciples, a few of them, even Judas, was getting all upset about it because they could have sold it and given the money to the poor. Sounds like a great idea. However... <laughs> Mary had a different plan. Her worship was extravagant, and the Lord received it. And he even said, it's going to be written for a memorial that this woman has done this. The poor you always have with me, but you don't have me always. What did Jesus say in John 4, verse 23? He says, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The spirit of God within us is what gives us. He's the one who is um, giving us this worship. The spirit of God in us, desiring us to worship. And we don't wish worship any way we want. No, we worship in spirit and in truth, guided and led by the spirit, but also according to the truth of the word of God. We don't worship God by handling snakes like they do down in the south. We don't worship the Lord by howling like animals and writhing on the floor like serpents. None of those aberrant things. You're, you're, a, you're a, a masterpiece in God's eyes. Why would he have you do that? We have to worship him in spirit and truth. And that is always the order. God initiates and then we respond to what God has said, what God has done. Does that make sense? That's what worship is. It's a a response to what he has initiated. It's always that way. He initiates. I'm going, wow, that's amazing. I worship him as a result. And that's the way it is. And I love that about the Lord. What about in Acts chapter 4 when Barnabas a Levite from the island or from the island of Cyprus. He sells all this. He sells a parcel of land and he brings all of it to the or to the um, to the apostles and he lays it at their feet. Do you think that was a a sacrifice? It was. 
Maybe it was his family's plot of land, and after his mother and father passed away, perhaps he said, I don't need this land anymore, but the money we can use for the distributing uh, for the saints in Jerusalem. And he did that as an act of worship. It was a sacrifice. He could have taken the money. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585 586 3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.